Good morning, Salt City. So many stories I would like to tell, but I don't have time. You maybe would want me to tell them, but I'm not going to take the time. I want to say something about your city. I don't know if you'd see it as a positive or a negative, but I'm not really a city person. And so I space off, forget things, go the wrong way. Multiple times already this morning in the rental car, but it's not my car, so it's SUV, so you can hit something really hard and still not get hurt, so feeling pretty good. But I was at the Starbucks just right down here in the Commons having a coffee and oatmeal because I'm that age where you should get something healthy for breakfast. So I put the nuts and the fruit in it. And then Drew comes down, gives me a hug, and tells me it's time for sound check. So I thought, well, I better get my notes that are on my iPad. So I reached on the table to get my notes, which were on my iPad. And guess what wasn't on the table? My iPad. So then you get to be my age, you don't really know what happened in the last few minutes. And so you are startled for a bit. And now I'm in a city and I'm thinking, did I leave in the car? No, I didn't leave in the car. I know I had it here. I know I had it here a few minutes ago. Surely this is Starbucks. They would have put it on the lost and found already. So I went up to the counter with this frantic look in my eyes and I said, do you have my iPad? Like, you don't order iPads at Starbucks. She gave me a look. No, we don't have your iPad. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm in a city now. It's been stolen. Then one of my friends said, oh, there it is, Troy. It's just right on the counter where you got your condiments for your oatmeal. It'd been there for 15 minutes, unstolen. So, what kind of city do you live in? <laughs> if I was in Chicago, it would be gone, right? I mean, they'd break your window out. We were out on the West Coast at a conference, Mark Vance and I, with a group of people, a group of pastors, and he left his iPad in a backpack in the back of an Odyssey minivan like you would ever break in an Odyssey minivan. We went in for coffee. We came out. The back window was busted out of the Odyssey minivan. All of our bags had gone through, and they took all of the iPads out of it. So that's city. That's what's supposed to happen in city. So that's a story that I didn't plan to tell. But I'm just saying, what kind of city do you live in? It's a great city. But people don't steal stuff like I imagined. So maybe not as, enough, as much work, Drew, as we thought there needed to be here. <laughs> I want to let you know that there, uh, you are part of a family of churches we call the Salt Network. There are now 10 of us currently in the network, and next year there will be 12. Uh, next year we're going to plant Uni- University of Wisconsin in Madison, and we're also going to plant University of Kansas in Lawrence. And we have great teams going out there already. About 100 people are committed to the church plant in Madison, and already about 40 people are committed to the church plant in Kansas. This year, at our SALT kickoffs, we had 4,670 students at the nine SALT companies around the country. Six of those are in Iowa, and three of them are outside of Iowa. Next year, five of them will be outside of Iowa, and already... Um, those groups are growing because the purpose of our network is we want to plant a church that loves college students at every major university in North America, and we want to see those churches love the nations and reach the people on their campus and plant churches literally around the world. Guys, you guys are part of what I believe is a movement, a fresh movement of God, and I believe we're on the threshold of God doing some extraordinary things in these last days. And you're a part of that. So, yeah. So, um, 
this year, this year, Wellspring at Penn State, I got to go to the whiteout game. It was the most amazing football game I've ever been to. Penn State, I got to root for Penn State for the first time in my life. I'm sure you don't do that because you're gophers, of course. You got to root against the Lions, but I don't. I get to root for both of you. Just root for the one that we don't have a church yet, right? I boo for that one. No one will get one. So as Michigan, Penn State romped Michigan. We were there an hour early and almost every seat was filled. 110,892 or something like that people there. It was crazy. And they all had white on. And our salt director, Joel Vent, he actually had a white tuxedo like I was married in. It reminded me of my beautiful wife and that lovely day 30 plus years ago. It was crazy that we wore those kinds of things. But as I'm in that stadium, I'm reminded of the theme of our network. Luke 10, 2. Also, Matthew 9, 37, 38, but it just doesn't make us need a t-shirt. Also in John 4, Jesus said, you see the fields? They're white unto harvest. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send labors into the field. And Penn State blew out Michigan in that game. And still at the end of the game, everybody was still there. 110,000 at the whiteout game. And the image was unbelievable to me. So many of those students, so many of those people who came to worship an idol. They came early. They stayed late. They spent a lot of money. The fields are white into harvest. Would you join me in praying for all of our churches and all of those places that we want to plant churches and especially for University of Wisconsin and Kansas University next year. So just a little bit of an update and Drew always wants to know how he's doing with the other church that was planted at the same time you are because we're a pretty competitive group and uh, I always want to let him know where he's falling behind. Um, Wellspring has baptized already 15 and they have about 10 more in the chute to be baptized. So uh, Drew, hopefully you get at least 25 in the December 1st or 3rd baptismal service. Otherwise, you'll be losing. <coughs> uh, no. So last week, we looked at Mark chapter 4, and this week, we're going to look at Mark chapter 5. And I love the reality of the gospel of Mark, like Drew said. And I just want to draw your attention to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus had done some pretty extraordinary things. He had just done many miracles on one side of the Sea of Galilee. He had just told the parable of the soils. Many thousands of people literally were following Jesus because he's a phenomenal teacher and he had so many great things to do. And the power of him was supernatural. He was healing people, casting out demons. Scores of things were happening. And last week we looked at that and Jesus said to the disciples this verse, verse 35, hey, Let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And I think the disciples were saying, yes, that would be awesome because we got to get away from all of these people because they are beginning to hassle us and we need a break. And so they got in the boat, some guys that were pretty skilled boatsmen, 
They started across the Sea of Galilee. It was going to take them most of the night. It's over 10 miles across the Sea of Galilee. And they were going to leave a primarily Jewish region and get to primarily a Gentile place. And I think the disciples were maybe thinking, because we need a break. Do you guys ever get to that place? And you know the squall, turbulence, wind, rains, craziness came up. You talked about this last week. Jesus was doing what in the boat? Sleeping, (laughs) snoozing, because he knew his work on the other side. So he was getting his rest in the midst of the storm. And what were the disciples doing? Freaking out is right. They said, Lord, don't you even care we're going to die? And Jesus, I think, woke up, got bedhead because he probably had long hair. It's getting rained on. Maybe didn't even open his eyes all the way. Said, peace, be still. Everything went perfectly calm. And you remember what the disciples said? It says they were afraid. And they said this. Who is this? Even the wind and the rain obey him. And then we're going to get to our story. But I want you to see chapter 5, verse 21. It's not a verse in my text. We're just doing 5, 1 to 20. It says in 5.21, And Jesus then crossed again in a boat to the other side. And a crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. So there's a crowd. Jesus says, we got to go to the other side. There was no crowd. Something happened, and Jesus went back to the crowd. A primarily Jewish audience that Jesus primarily said he came to seek and to save. He was teaching them. He was talking to them about the kingdom of God. Scores of things were happening. And Jesus, in his sovereignty, looked to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he told his disciples, we have to get over there. And he went over there for less than a day. Because it records in the text that he came right back to continue his ministry in the primary place where he did the vast majority of his ministry. And so you have to ask the question, this sovereign God who now has calmed the ocean, who knew the ocean was going to come up like that, the sea, has now gone to the other side for what? Or maybe we should ask the question, for who? And I want to say to you this morning that Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee on a rescue mission. And he went over there for one person who was very messed up and broken. And you're going to see in the text that even though God loves everyone, what you need to know is God cares tremendously about you. And he would stop ministry to go across a sea 
to minister to one person. And we're going to see in this person that he's the most desperate person maybe in all of the Bible. And you're going to see what God did to him. Everyone matters. You matter. And the most desperate person in your life matters to God. And maybe God would use you. And maybe this example today, it'll give you hope for that desperate person in your life as well. Look at verse one. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, primarily a Gentile region. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately, and Mark loves this word. In fact, Mark uses this word more than any other writer in scripture. And he uses this word the majority of times that it's in the New Testament is primarily in the gospel of Mark. He likes this action immediately. So you get the feeling something's about to happen. Jesus steps out of the boat. Immediately something happens. There met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Now verse six says, and when he saw Jesus, this man with the unclean spirit, from afar, he began to run toward Jesus. Okay, so now you got the picture. Jesus steps out of the boat. There's a dude. Matthew records there's two dudes, so you can even see two dudes who are living in the tombs who now are running after Jesus. Here's what happened. This guy lived among tombs, verse three. No one could bind him anymore. Not even with chains, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he would wrench the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces, iron, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he would always cry out, and he would cut himself with stones. You get the picture? So first of all, this dude had a demon. And we're going to learn later in the text it wasn't just a demon because when Jesus begins to engage this guy with the story of the demon that is in him, he says, my name is Legion. And maybe did it like a scary movie. My name is Legion, right? I don't know. Who knows? He said, for we're many. And a legion was 6,000 Roman soldiers. So he didn't just have a demon. He maybe had multiple demons in his life, maybe even thousands of them. And he lived in the tombs. Is that a place you want to live? A cemetery. And he probably lived in the tombs because he was homeless. And in a pagan culture, they would often leave food for their dead ancestors, thinking that somehow it would give them honor in their life and these spirits would reward them for feeding the dead. And so that's probably how he was eating this food left in these tombs where he was living. And it says that he was uncontrollable. And they had often bound him with shackles and chains because when you had any kind of illness in that day, if it was a mental illness or if it was demon possession, they would just try to shackle you and put you away. But there were no chains, no iron strong enough to contain this man. Can you imagine that? He was violent, uncontrollable, unrestrainable. He cried out night and day. He couldn't sleep. He was tormented. What was he crying out night and day? And could the villagers and those in the city hear his cries at night? I'm a country boy. 
You guys don't get this in the city. You don't have packs of coyotes, do you? No. What, what do you have here? You don't have thieves. But I also hunt. I don't know if you have a problem with that. I don't really care. Um, uh, I was sitting in a tree. I was hunting. I'm a very selective hunter, so I rarely ever kill anything. I want to real bad. I just don't ever see anything I want to. And so it gets dark, and I'm in the woods. I'm climbing out of this tree, and I'm in the woods at dark. I don't live in the woods. I can't see at night. And I'm walking on this trail out of the woods, and all of a sudden, a coyote who was with lots of other coyotes, and when one coyote starts talking, they all start talking, and uh, this coyote, it felt like eight feet from me, went, and I I thought, oh, man, I think I wet myself a little. Uh, And then they all went, and I thought, I think I'm going to get eaten, right? I was afraid. You know the sound of wild stuff is scary. Imagine a man tormented. What were the sounds that he made? All night, all day. He was a self-mutilator. He would take stones from the tombs and he would gash his body because he agonized on the inside. We learn from verse 15 that he was also naked and likely horribly dirty. And now you have a picture. Jesus was on the other side and in his godness. He thought there's a man in need over there. And he told his disciples, we got to get over there. The storm comes and the disciples say, who is this? Even the wind and the rain obey him. And I'm sure as soon as they got to the other side, they had this conversation. And here's what their conversation probably was like. I ain't never getting another boat ever again. That was horrible. I mean, Jesus, he was sleeping. He made it all cool, but I ain't getting back in that boat. We almost died. And then they get to the other side. And this dude comes yelling and screaming and crashing out of the tombs at them and he's naked and he's brutal and he's been mutilated and he is crying out with a loud voice. That's what the text says. And I think the disciples are saying, back in the boat, back in the boat, back in the boat, right? But look at verse six. And when Jesus saw him from afar, Or when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. His first act was to sprint and to fall. And he cried out with a loud voice, now... From this fallen position. What do you have to do with me, Jesus? Son of the most high God. I adjure you by God. 
Do not torment me. It says, for he was saying to him, this is Jesus saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they, began, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs and let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the Sea of Galilee and drowned in the sea. Now, what's going on here? I've heard lots of guys teach about this text, and, and, and they just kind of want to go off on the pigs, right? We flew from Iowa to Minnesota. You know, when Iowa plays Minnesota, they play for the trophy. What's the trophy that they play for? Yeah, it's a fat pig, Right? Like, and they hold it up, and whoever wins, I don't know who won this year. Who cares? I cheer for both of them now. So, so they, you know, it's the traveling pig. What's the name of the pig? Okay, Lloyd the pig. Anyway, you know, in Iowa, there are three million people. There are more pigs than people in Iowa, right? By 10 times. And when you get in a plane, you can see them. They're just like everywhere. And everybody goes, oh man, Jesus, Jesus don't like pigs. We kill all them pigs. All them pigs die. What about the farmers, the herdsmen? You ever heard that? And oh, I love the scholars. The scholars say, well, you know, there was a Roman legion there, and there was, you know, a legion in a particular region. In this particular region, they had the, they all had their flags, and this particular flag was a pig's face. And so Jesus was saying, no, I'm more powerful than the Roman legion, and there's a legion that God was elected. He cast into pigs just to tell all the Romans, you know what? You're not powerful at all. We'll drown your stupid legion of Romans, right? Really? I think there were just pigs there. (laughs) And the demons didn't want to go to eternal hell, which Jesus said was created not for people, but was created for Satan and his angels. And they know that. And the pigs were just another alternative. And even though these demons had tried to drive this man to death, but were unable because of the sovereignty of God to keep him alive until he could get saved, the pigs who have no soul in eternity and will not matter in eternity because they're just pigs and they make great ham and great sausage and great bacon. But they're not eternal. And you need to see that Jesus cared less about 2,000 pigs than he did about one broken man. And I just want to say, it makes me a little bit sick that we are saving animals and murdering babies. And Jesus cared about this broken man. And the story's not about the pigs. This is a work of Satan, and we see in 1 John chapter 3 that Jesus knew the Son of Man has come to destroy the works of the devil. What is the work of the devil? 
Jesus said clearly, the thief, he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's a liar and the father of liars and all he wants is your destruction. He doesn't like you, he doesn't love you. He wants to demolish you and he wants to demolish you more if you are a follower of Jesus. Why? Because you and all of creation are the image bearers of God. You and all of creation, God's people or to bear his name in this city and be salt and light. And if Satan can destroy God, he can't destroy God, but he wants to destroy God's image bearers. And more than anything, he wants to wage war, we see it in Revelation, against God's children. I used to be a quite skilled demon caster outer. Did you guys know that? Didn't know that. I'm just telling you, now you know. Have you ever been around people that are really into this thing? They want to give all of their sins credit rather than to their sinful nature to the devil. The devil made me do it, right? And so we go to this text and we say, oh, what you got to do is you got to ask the demon his name. What's your name? Right? Well, what if one says legion? And what if one beats you up? Have you seen the stories in the Bible of what demons can do? This guy under the supernatural power of demons was shredding shackles. He probably was pulverizing people. He was a violent man. He was a horrible man, but it wasn't his strength that was doing it. It was the strength of the demons. Notice even in this text, he goes from talking about himself to talking about them. Notice how many times he said, and then it shifts in verse 16, and he begged them not to send them out in the countryside. And they then begged him, send us, let us. So he gave them. What was happening? What was going on? And I always wonder, what, was, what were the disciples doing at that point? What would you have been doing? Jesus at one point was accused of casting out demons by the devil himself. Are you familiar with that? Luke chapter 11. Jesus knew in their thoughts and knowing their conversation. I'm going to read from you. Luke eleven seventeen through 20, it says, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself laid waste and a divided household falls, and if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But, and I love this verse, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You think Jesus was afraid when he saw this demon-possessed guy running at him? <laughs> no, it said he was saying the whole time the guy was running at him, come out of him. Come out. And he fell down at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus gave permission for the demons to come out and enter the pigs. And how much of his power did that take? The 
finger of God. The voice of God, the finger of God is more powerful than anything. What was in Jesus' mind? I don't know for sure, but here's what I think it was. There's a hurting, broken man on the other side of the sea. And the only person that can help him is me. There's a group of people over there in the Gerasian region, Gentiles. And I came primarily for the Jews. But you see in the Syrophoenician woman, you see in the Samaritan woman, you see in the centurion that Jesus knew that he was the savior of the world. And you see in this Gerasian demoniac, this guy that was lost, that needed to be found. And if God knows every sparrow that dies and if he has counted every hair on your head, you have to know that Jesus knew there was a man in the tombs who was broken and being tormented by demons and in need. And he said to his disciples, we have to go over there. But he created a stir, didn't he? Look at verse 14. Well, the herdsmen fled. People do this around the power of God often. And they told the whole city and everybody in the country. And the people came to see what had happened. This was big news in that region. And they came to Jesus. And they saw the demon-possessed man. But guess what? He wasn't demon-possessed anymore. The one who had a legion of demons. And he was sitting there. He had on clothes. How long it had been. And where did he get the clothes? And he was in his right mind. What a beautiful picture. And I wonder if some of the guys who had put chains on him came out to see. I imagine they were there. And they saw this man who was tormented, crying out night and day. He's just sitting with Jesus. He has on clothes. And you can tell that he's in his right mind. He's normal. And so they celebrated. They had a big party. They said, Jesus, you possess the power of God. You can do what no man can do. We bow down and we worship you. Right? says they were afraid and you know what that's a right response actually the disciples were afraid in the boat supernatural power of God now it's clashing against the supernatural power of hell and I think we should actually fear both but Jesus says we don't need to fear the devil when greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world And he is the one who has overcome the world. And the Bible talks about men who are not embarrassed, are so proud to go up against 
celestial beings talking about demons and he talks about their pride and how can you stand before demons? The sons of Sceva, they actually got beaten and stripped by demons when they were trying to cast demons out of people. And I tell you, there's no method for us to cast demons out of people. If you run into somebody, you better fall on your knees and start praying to Jesus that he would deliver them from Satan and it's his power and his power alone. And even if you say, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out. And even if you fast and pray, I'm telling you, don't be so cavalier to engage the supernatural like that. You come in humbly under the power of Jesus. And so they were afraid. Verse 16 says, and those who had seen it, they told the story, they described to them what happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Is that shocking to you? You think they were just mad that Jesus had killed all their pork? You think they were taking up reproach for the herdsmen? You think they liked the demon-possessed guy living in the tombs, crying out night and day? What would cause them to say, Jesus, get out? Oh, don't say you don't get it. Have you discovered this about Jesus? He actually bugs me more than he delights me. Is that not true of you? See, here's what I've discovered every single day. I wake up and I've discovered, here's what Jesus is, a God. He is the God, the Lord of the universe. He has the sovereign power over heaven and hell. He spoke and everything we know came into existence. He speaks a sentence half asleep because he was tired in his human flesh and the waters and the waves are calm and the disciples are hanging out with him and they're saying, who is this? And this guy who is filled with demons, the first thing that comes out of his meaning is Jesus, son of the most high God. He knew the demons know this is a God. And you know what a God won't do? A God will not serve Troy Nesbitt. Dang it. He will not line up with my agenda. He will not do the things for me that I want him to do for me. He will not use his great and sovereign power to make my best life now. And in fact, often the things that he calls me to step into, I don't want to go. And you know, here's what I've discovered about most American Christians, kind of like the disciples. As long as you're doing good for me, I am happy. But whenever you're not doing good for me, here's what I think. You're mean. 
You must not be God anymore. Did you guys hear Pastor Drew's sermon last week? What's he looking forward to when he gets to heaven? Having a conversation with his daughter. And he'll get that conversation. But I can tell you what it's going to be like. His righteous choice from now until then is probably going to be hard. Oh, he left a good job to have this job where there's all kinds of risk. People he doesn't know, friends he hadn't made. Why did he do it? He said, I got to get to the other side. There are lost people there. We had a guy from Iowa who went to State College, Pennsylvania, had never been in Pennsylvania, much less at State College. He was a Cyclone fan, so you know he hated the Nittany Lions because they win everything. We've never won anything. I said, Joel, would you consider going there? He said, are there lost people there? They wanted him to leave because they were just normal people. We don't want God involved in our lives because he's a God. And he might ask us to reorient our lives around his desires. And even after trying to walk with Jesus since I was 17 years old and now I'm 54, that's a long time, I wake up every day and it is still hard for me. And you know what that is? Normal. So they asked Jesus to leave. So Jesus left. Look what it says in the text. And as he was getting in the boat, now the man, he was a demon-possessed man. He was the guy who said his name was Legion. We know that wasn't his name, but now he doesn't even have a name. I wonder why he didn't get a name. This is the man who had been demon-possessed. Now he's begging him. Here's what he wanted. He just wanted to be with Jesus. And Jesus said no. He didn't permit him to go with him. He said, go home to your friends and you tell them how much the Lord has done for you. How he's had mercy on you. And he obeyed and he went away and he began to proclaim to the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Do you know anybody that's far from God? Maybe it's you. Where do you see yourself in this parable? You, the disciples are hanging out with Jesus all the time, but just always confused by what he's doing and never really getting on the mission. And even when he's reaching the Samaritans and the Syrophoenicians and the Centurions and those on the other side of the gate, you just want him to be about your business? Or do you recognize that actually this story is about you? Who 
who considered equality with God nothing to grasp, but he emptied himself and he became a man and even a servant among men. Why? So he could save you. He did more than go across the Sea of Galilee for you. He went from heaven to earth. Why? Because you were broken, you were naked, you were lost, you were tormented, you were a horrible, wretched sinner. And what did he do for you? And what is our response? I just want to be with you. We get that opportunity forever, right? But what did Jesus say for us today? No, here's what I want you to do. No, you go tell your friends. You go tell your neighbors. You go tell the people in this city everything that I've done for you because I want to do it for them too. Jesus, I pray that we would grasp the heart of the story and that we would see ourselves in this story. God, we are the demon-possessed guy. We are the guys that are children of the devil before you redeemed us, before you saved us. We are the men and women who are broken and naked and just self-destructive in every way, ugly and wretched. But you left heaven to save us. And you've given us life, opportunity to be with you for eternity, but in these moments, an opportunity to tell others all that you have done for us. Help us to be faithful. We pray in your powerful name, the name that is above all names. In Jesus' name.